0: All right, well, good morning, River City. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to join you for worship this morning. Like uh, like John said, if you are new or visiting, uh, we would love to get to know you. Come find me or somebody else uh, that's been up here. We'd love to just meet you, get to know you, get plugged into the community. If there's anything that we can do to serve you or help you get connected here, uh, we genuinely would love to do that. So come find one of us. So uh, this morning, we're gonna be wrapping up a, a short series that we've been taking a look at the first couple of weeks of the new year here. Uh, just taking a look at what it is that that we believe about the Bible and why it is that we believe those things. Uh, if you uh, show up here every week here at River City, we're always going to open God's Word together and study it together. And and so I figured it was a good idea for us to take a couple of weeks just to think about why that is the case. Why is God's Word central to everything that we do here? And, uh, and this uh, so we're going to wrap up that series this morning. And then uh, next week, we're going to start a new series that will take us basically through the end of the summer. We're going to be working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Corinth in the the ancient world, which was going through some stuff. And uh, so there is uh, an incredible amount of things uh, in that that book that are incredibly practical, incredibly timely for us 2,000 plus years later, and I am so excited to study that with you and to walk through God's word with you just verse by verse as we work our way through that letter. And so excited to do that. So like I said, this morning we're wrapping up our series, taking a look at, at what it is we believe about the Bible. In the last couple of weeks, we were talking about the authority of the Bible and the importance of having God's Word as our highest authority, uh, both in our lives and in our church. And we talked about how as the trustworthy and sufficient very Word of God, that uh, the Bible stands over and above our own reason and our own experience and our even our own traditions as a church is the final authority on all matters of of our faith and practice. And, and so we talked about the importance of that. But this morning as we wrap up our series, what I want to highlight is not just the authority of God's word and the importance of, of having God's word as our highest authority, but also what I want to do is I want to try to highlight the importance of uh, approaching God's word with the right perspective, coming, uh, beginning our study of God's word with the right perspective in our passage this morning, what we're going to see is that Jesus is addressing the religious leaders of his day. Arguably, these guys are probably some of the, the, most, uh, the most dedicated Bible scholars in all of history. They would have had the vast majority, if not the whole Old Testament, memorized. That's a lot of verses, like a lot of verses, right? And um, these guys had, had studied the Bible profusely, but what we're going to see this morning is that even though they had studied it intently, they had missed the purpose entirely. They had missed the point of the whole thing. And in John 5, Jesus is telling them and us that that there's basically two ways to approach reading your Bible. There's basically two ways to approach reading their Bible. Either it's about you or it's about God. And as we'll see as we study this morning, the difference in the way we approach God's Word, it changes everything about the way that we read it. It changes our lives. So let's pray with that in mind, and we'll dive into our study together. Jesus, grateful this morning to get to gather and uh, gather together for worship and to study your Word, and, and thankful, God, that you would uh, enable us to, to do that this morning on a cold winter morning. So we're thankful to do that. Uh, God, And we just want to—we come as we do every week, uh, God— we just want to recognize our dependence on you as we begin our study. We we need you, I need you to enable me to, to preach and to teach rightly and also to do with do that with power. That's something I can't do on my own. God, we need you to enable us to respond rightly to your word. That's not something we can do on our own. And, and so God, for every part of our gathering here this morning, we're dependent on you. And so uh, we're also uh, not just dependent, but we are eagerly dependent, God, because we know that you love to meet us in our need for you. You. And so as we study your word this morning, we pray that you would help to shape our hearts and our minds and cause us to uh, love and treasure you more as we study your word. And so for our good and for your great glory, God, we pray all of it this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5 this morning, uh, verses 37 through 47. Again, Jesus here is speaking to the religious leaders of his day. Pick it up in verse 37. and He says, And the Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one that he sent. For, the, for you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you, and I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from God alone? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. No, your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. For if you believe Moses, then you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how then are you going to believe what I say? All right, like I said this, earlier this morning, basically what Jesus is, the, this big underlying idea that Jesus is, is getting at here is that, is that there's basically two ways to read your Bible. And the first we see is, is his correction of these religious leaders. Basically, the way that they have approached reading their Bible is that fundamentally thinking that it is about them. We see in verse 39, he says to these religious leaders, you study the scriptures diligently, he says, because you think that in them you have eternal life. You see, Jesus is, he's not talking to people who don't read their Bibles. He's not talking to cynics. He's not talking to skeptics. He is talking to people who study their Bibles diligently, who read it every day, yet who have missed the point altogether. See, Jesus is saying that they're, they're reading the Scriptures. They're thinking, though, that it's about them. He says to them, you study diligently. He says, because... You think that in them, in keeping them, you have eternal life. You see, these religious leaders, their approach to God's word was that it was ultimately about them. It was about them figuring out how to get eternal life from God. About what they needed to do and how they needed to live and the rules that they needed to follow so that they could get eternal life from God. D.A. Carson, he's a pastor, and theologian, he writes this. He says, their primary motivation for studying the scriptures was the hope of finding final acceptance by God. You see, their goal was not to know God more, it's not to have their hearts changed. Their goal is to study it so that they could earn or attain God's approval and get eternal life. Now, don't hear me wrong this morning as we study. The the Bible does show us the way to eternal life. And it does give us instruction about how to live, but that's not the ultimate point. It's not the primary purpose. You see, the Bible is not a rule book, nor is it a treasure map. You see, it's not God's rubric for just Just seeing how well you're doing and measuring up to his standards or not, that's that's missing the point altogether. Instead, Jesus says in our passage this morning, he says that the purpose is to reveal the one who gives life in the first place. Verse 39, Jesus goes on, he says this, these are the very scriptures, these ones that these leaders have studied diligently, the ones that they've spent years memorizing, he says, these very scriptures, they testify about me but you refuse to come to me to have life. See, Jesus is saying that the whole Bible, it's about him. It's all about pointing to him and to his person and to his work. They're written not merely to show you the path to eternal life. Jesus says, God's word is written that you might, it might reveal the giver of life himself. You see, the only way for God's word to be life-giving is if we read it looking for the giver of life that it reveals. And that leads us to the, the second way that we're supposed to read the Bible. See, it's not about us. It's actually about God. That's option two. You see, the point of the whole Bible, its purpose and its goal is not merely to give us instructions about what we need to do, but it is to reveal God to us, to reveal his truth and his love and his justice and his righteousness and his goodness. It's to reveal all that he has done, all of who he is and all that he has done on our behalf so that we might come to him to find life. You see, these, these two ways of reading the Bible, they are altogether different, and they also produce altogether different results. You see, they're, they're not just different approaches. They are opposing approaches. They are opposite. They are, in fact, diametrically opposed. You see, when you approach the Bible thinking that it's ultimately about you, what you invariably always end up with is religion, And when I say religion, I'm not talking about a specific religious system, I'm not talking about a denomination or a certain church, but instead I'm talking about a fundamental approach to the way that we we think and relate to God that's based on our actions and our attitudes and our behaviors being the the method by which we either gain or maintain our relationship with God, His love, His approval, His acceptance. You see, religion's goal is always to get something from God. The religious leaders, uh, Jesus was addressing, they were trying to get eternal life from God. That's the thing they wanted most. You see, religion, it always sees God as a means to an end. When you read the Bible thinking ultimately it's about you, then always God is just a means to an end. He's a means to getting something that you need. You see, religion is about having control over your own destiny. And religion says, if you obey, then God will love you. It's motivated by fear that God doesn't love you or, or it's motivated by a self-righteous pride believing he's obligated to do so. You see, ultimately, religion is about you and it, it only ends two ways either ends in pride or despair. It ends in in pride if you arrogantly think that you have lived up to God's standards as you see them laid out in the Bible, and you just end up comparing yourselves to others, thinking you are much more impressive than the other people around you, or leads to despair because you realize that there is no way you could ever live up to God's standards. And when you compare yourselves to others, all you end up feeling is a shame. You see, religious thinking, it, it characterized the people that Jesus was talking to, but it's so important you see this. It's not unique to them. You see, we all know people who think like this. In fact, we often might think like this ourselves. We don't say it out loud, but you know, if we were to answer the question, why do you go to church? Oftentimes, the, the answer to that question is like, well, we just want God to be happy with us. We want to be on his good side. Why do you pray? Well, I want God to help me with something, or I want Him to give me something. Why do you give financially? So I want God to bless me back. You see, but lest we think religious thinking is something other people do, it's important we remember that that's the default mode of the human heart. Everyone's, yours and mine included. How often are our motives to do the right things based on trying to earn God's approval or just making ourselves feel better? How? Why do we do our quiet times? Why do you read your Bible? Is it because you just feel better when you do it? Is it just you need that? You need that. It's like your like the motivational poster, but Christian sense, right? Do we do we do it because we just think we're supposed to, or we do it because we long to know the God who reveals Himself to us in it? I think if we're honest, it's not always the latter. How often do we look at the people around us and we see their sinful behaviors and we might not say it out loud, but you think to yourself, at least I'm not that bad. You see, the reality is that deep down all of us know that we don't measure up to God's standards and so we end up comparing ourselves to others. You see, when when you read the Bible thinking that it's about you, you either try really hard to measure up to God's standards Or you just don't try it all and you just reject it altogether. You see, the enemy is fine with either of those results because he wants us to miss the point and to miss the purpose and in so doing, to miss God himself. You see, but when you approach the Bible realizing that it's not actually about you, that it's for you, but it's not about you, and ultimately it's about God, what happens is that you always get the gospel. And that's altogether different than religion. You see, when you relate to God through the lens of religion, the goal is always to get something from God. But when you relate to God through the lens of the gospel, you realize that the goal is always to get God himself. See, religion sees God as a means to an end, but the gospel sees God as the end. He's the thing we desire most. He is the treasure to be had. He is the one to be enjoyed. He is the thing that we are after. You see, religion says if if we obey, then God will love us. But the gospel flips that. You see, the gospel reminds us that God's love for us is the thing that enables us to obey in the first place. You see, in the end, religion's just ultimately about you, but the gospel is about God, and that is such good news. See, because the increase of God's glory it is for your good. It always leads to your good. You see, the gospel is good news because it's about god and not about you if the bible is always about you it can't be good news for you you see it will just crush you because there's no way you you live up to the standards that or the examples that are set that's what jesus is telling these religious leaders he verse 45 he's writing them he says your accuser is moses it's on on whom your hope is set he says i'm not accusing you You stand accused by the thing your very hope is in. You see, Moses, he wrote much of the Old Testament, including the books containing the law, and these religious leaders, their their hope, their their, their hope was set on their ability to obey enough, their ability to keep the commandments, to do what they were supposed to do, to measure up, and yet Jesus says, your hope is in the wrong place. Your hope, in fact, it only leaves them standing accused. Because they don't measure up. You see, you and I, were often tempted to the read the Bible from the same perspective that these religious leaders did. Thinking that it's ultimately about us and what we need to do. And that's especially true often as we read the Old Testament. But when we do that, what happens is that it leaves us in the same situation as these religious leaders found themselves. Just they stand accused because we don't measure up. Many of you are, are reading your Bibles, you're working through your reading plan, and uh, I know I am, and one of the things uh, I know just recently finished up the end of Genesis, and, and you, see the, you see in there the story of Joseph, one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. Oftentimes I think we look at that story and think, wow, it's just a story about forgiveness, right? And, and Joseph is this incredible example of this forgiveness that he extends to his brothers, and we just really need to forgive like Joseph forgives. You see, but... If the story of Joseph is just an example for us about how we're supposed to forgive, the only thing that story does is crush you under that example. Because you do not forgive like Joseph forgives. See, Joseph, he forgives and blesses beyond measure a family that has not only hated him but sold him into slavery. And at the end of everything, at the end of all the chapters of that story, after he has rescued them and saved them, they have still not apologized for all that they have done. And yet Joseph forgives them and blesses them beyond measure I have trouble forgiving my wife when she leaves me without a roll of toilet paper, right? Right? If I'm in Joseph's shoes and those idiot brothers come to me, I exact revenge on those idiot brothers. And the reality is, is that you and I both know that's what you do as well. You see, but if the story of Joseph is not about you and it's not about me, if ultimately the story of Joseph is about revealing something about God himself, it's a if it's about pointing us to Jesus, to the true and better Joseph, who who like Joseph was unjustly rejected by his own family and betrayed for money, who who like Joseph would for, go on to forgive an unforgivable offense, who who like Joseph would through his rejection bring about the the blessing and the salvation of a peep of the very people who rejected him. See, oh, then it can be good news for you and I. You see, because we're like the brothers who did not deserve forgiveness, but who were desperately in need of it, and yet who God, by His grace, has extended mercy and forgiveness lavishly abundant on us. You see, the story it reveals of Joseph, it reveals that God relates to His family not based on our performance, but based on His grace. And when you see the incredible grace and forgiveness that Joseph showed his brothers was really just a, a foreshadowing. It was really just a glimpse of the kind of grace that Jesus would, for, that Jesus would extend to you and I in a, to a degree that Joseph could not even imagine. What you see is that that, that that is the good news of the gospel being foreshadowed to you. What happens is your heart begins to be filled with a longing to forgive even the most egregious offenses because you realize that you have offended God himself and yet he graciously has forgiven you. You see, all of the Bible, it's really about Jesus. It's not about you. If the story of Samson is about you, if it's just about avoiding temptation so that you can be used by God, then, then none of us will ever be used by God because we fail to avoid temptation all the time. But if instead the, the story of Samson and his failing and his rebellion is about revealing God's strength to use even the strongest fools, oh, then the story of Samson is such good news. Because it reveals that God's strength is strong enough to save and to use even the strongest of sinners, you and I included. If David and Goliath, if it's just about facing your fears and standing up to the giants in your life, trusting God to overcome them, it's a story that just crushes you. You don't have David's faith. You and I, we do not have his faith. Instead, we're like the Israelites who are cowering in the corner, full of fear and doubt, helpless to save ourselves. And what happens as well when when you, when you gather all your stones and you throw all the stones you have, like David did, but instead, instead of hitting the giant, you miss with all of them? What happens when when that undefeatable circumstance actually defeats you? What happens when when cancer takes someone from your family? What happens when when you can't find a job, no matter how how hard you've been looking or what happens when the depression you are experiencing is too overwhelming and you just cannot get out of bed what happens when you're out of stones to throw you're out of stones the story of David just crushes you under a weight of an example you cannot follow oh but if the story of David is not an example of the way that you're supposed to fight But if it is an example of the one who has already fought the battles for you, then it gets to be good news. You see, because Jesus rescued us from the undefeatable enemy of Satan and sin and death while we were cowering in fear and unable to move and his victory has become our victory so that we can walk in freedom and deliverance just as David's victory became the people of Israel's victory on their behalf so that they might walk in freedom and deliverance. And it's not because we have won some great battle but because Jesus has won the greatest battle of all on our behalf for us so and then we're free to celebrate Celebrate him and trust him and run to him and rest in him and ask him to empower us to live a life that is already won for us. You see, it wasn't the strength of David's faith that gave him victory. It was the object of his faith. See, God himself is revealed in the story to be the true champion of all. You see, when you read the Bible, understanding it's about God revealing himself to us, what you get is the good news of the gospel. You see, and the outcome of the gospel is never pride or despair. The outcome of the gospel is always humble joy. You see, because it's motivated by an unmerited, undeserved grace that has been abundantly and freely and lavishly given to us. We just spent the last three months working our way through the fruit of the Spirit and highlighting how that that the fruit of the Spirit is the natural, inevitable outworking of what happens when the gospel takes deep root in your heart, when the when the truth about the person and the work of Jesus takes deep root in your heart. What happens is what gets produced in your life is the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and, and the rest of the list goes on. You see, what happens is when the gospel takes root in you, it causes you to long to obey and to give your life over to God gladly and joyfully and willingly and wholly. You see, when when what you see in every story is a glimpse of the Savior, what you see in every story is, is a hint of His promise coming. What you see in all of it is the Savior you needed. What will happen is that the love of God will dwell richly in you see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had studied the scriptures diligently, they read it, they had memorized it, but they had missed the point entirely. They missed the purpose. In Jesus' words to them in verse 42, they are, they are brutally revealing. He says to them, I know you and I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. The love of God is not in them. He's saying that in in missing the point, they have missed God altogether. They are still enemies of God, not his children or his friends, and they were blind to this fact. In fact, they hated Jesus for saying this to them. But I need you to hear this this morning. Jesus' words to these religious leaders, they are not in anger. They are not vindictive. They are not spiteful. Jesus' words to them are out of love for them. You see, in the book of Acts, we see that many of them turn from religion to the gospel. Jesus' words here are out of love for these leaders. He wants them to see him. Not miss the point, but to get the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and you are realizing that you have been reading the Bible and relating to God through the lens of religion, maybe your whole life. You see, in Jesus' words, our good news because they're a reminder that there is still time to turn from our religious thinking and to come to the good news of the gospel. You see, religion, it always looks pious on the outside, but really it's just rebellion at its core. Religion says, I want to be the final authority. I want to be controlled by my effort, by my behavior, by my obedience. I will merit my relationship with God. I'll be in charge of it. The gospel says there is only one true king. His name is Jesus, and you aren't him. And yet he calls even the most rebellious of sinners to come to him and receive forgiveness and life. You see, religion, it always seems like good advice, but it's really just a poison apple. The gospel, conversely, is good news that brings true life and joy as we surrender to the king who who reveals himself to us in his word. So the question is, is, as we study God's word together here on Sundays, as as you read the Bible on your own, studying it so that you might know the God that it reveals, how do we we make sure that we're approaching God's word correctly? How do we learn to read our Bible with gospel-focused lenses rather than religious-focused lenses? Well, a couple of things, this is not exhaustive, but a couple of key things. One, it begins with repentance. See, repentance begins by admitting to God that we have the tendency to read his word thinking it's about us. We have a tendency to see it as a, as a means to an end. You see, in, in order to read the Bible rightly, we've got to first repent of reading it wrongly. And confessing to God that we've been approaching it, thinking that it's about us. You see, and when you begin to do that, what you'll begin to understand is how much you need God's grace every day. How much the gospel is something you need every day. And that leads us to the second thing. You see, you've got to understand that you need the good news of the gospel today as much as you did every day. And as much as you did the first day you began to follow Jesus I think growing up I, I kind of approach or I understood the the, the gospel which is the, the, the person and the work of Jesus which saves us and makes us right with God. I, I under understood that kind of theology and that thinking as kind of like a cornerstone of a building. It's super really, really important that you that you get that right. But as soon as you build the cornerstone, you can just kind of like kinda of keep adding stuff onto it. And you don't really think about it that much you don't really keep coming back to it and every year at Easter you kind of round bend to the corner of your spiritual building and you see that cornerstone there with the date it got engraved and you think man I'm so thankful for that I'm really glad but you don't think about it that often and the gospel is not something that affects your life every day but like we again, like we saw these past few months, as we walk through the fruit of the Spirit, the the gospel is not simply the foundation of our faith. It's instead it's like the hub at the center of the wheel in which every part of our faith and our lives must connect if it has any hope of working rightly. You see, in other words, the gospel is not just the thing that saves us. The gospel is the thing that also transforms us and changes us. It, it's the thing that that. Transforms us into the people that God has saved us to be. And when you have that perspective, what happens is you start to read the Bible differently. You start to read it looking for Jesus and looking for the gospel. And that brings us to the third thing I want to encourage you to do read your Bible looking for Jesus and the gospel. See, Jesus didn't tell the Pharisees, he didn't tell these religious leaders to stop studying diligently. He didn't tell them just, hey, just think about it differently, just have faith, move on. No, he tells them to start looking for him. And the same is true for us. As we study God's word, we must actively, intentionally be looking for Jesus and the gospel. And there's lots of resources and tools that can help you to do that. But the, but the point is that you just got to begin by assuming it's all about him and start there. But most importantly, I need you to hear this this morning. You, you don't need a seminary degree to see Jesus in all of the Bible. You don't need some special religious training to to see that it's all about Jesus. Look at the Pharisees. They were the the most religiously trained people in probably the history of the world, and yet they had still missed the point. What they needed was the Spirit of God to open their eyes to see the truth. The same is true of the disciples. In Luke chapter 24, and Jesus has, has uh, died and been resurrected and he's, he's walking with some of his disciples on the road to, to Emmaus and, and he's walking with them and he's talking with them about how all of the Bible is really about him and in the end he, he gets to the upper room with them and he's meeting with them and he's talking with them about they're so surprised to see him and they've missed the whole point. They've, they've misunderstood that all of this was really about him and what we see in verse 45 of Luke chapter 24 is that Jesus, he opens their minds so that they could understand understand the scriptures and it's not until he shows them that it's all about him that that it clicks that they get it i need you to hear me this morning the single most important thing that you can do when you read your bible is to ask the spirit of god to reveal jesus and the gospel to you as you read That is the single most important thing you can do as you read. It is the job of the Spirit to shine light on Jesus. It is the thing he is very best at, so ask him to. He loves doing it. Whenever I open my Bible to study, whether that's just reading my own quiet times in the mornings or or whether that's as I prepare to preach and teach you guys, the thing I always begin with is asking Jesus, show yourself to me as I study. Cause me to see how this is all about you. How you are the point, how you are the good news that is here. Make that a practice in your time reading God's word. It is more important than any degree or any tool or any resource could ever be. That being said, also get yourself a good study Bible, right? It's not that tools are unhelpful, right? Use helpful tools. Two that I might really encourage you as recommend that I find incredibly helpful. Simple, easily accessible resources. The first is the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. It's edited by a guy named D.A. Carson. I often reference and quote it here on Sunday morning. So uh, I would encourage you. That's a really helpful resource. Another resource I often reference is um, the ESV Gospel Transformation Bible. And that's just a study Bible. It's the ESV translation. It's just a little bit different than NIV. But All of the study notes in that resource, they specifically focus on highlighting how the gospel is the thing that's being foreshadowed, how this connects with the bigger picture of the person and the work of Jesus. And that's a really helpful tool, especially as you're reading the Old Testament, I found is just a helpful tool to help you see the bigger picture of what's going on there. So two tools that you can do. Again, the most important thing you can do is ask the Spirit of God to reveal Jesus and the gospel to you. But also use some helpful tools, right? It's not cheating. It's just wise to do, okay? Ask God to help you to see the Bible. It's really all about him. And in response, what will happen is that you will come to love and treasure him all the more, which will result in you longing to submit every area of your heart and your life over to him, that you might live under his good authority. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together and Communion, it's it's a picture, it's a reminder for us about the very thing that is at the heart of God's Word, the thing it's all about, which is about the person and the work of Jesus. The bread and the juice, it reminds us of Jesus' body and blood, which was broken and shed for us as He died the death that our sin deserved. And Communion, it doesn't make you right with God, it doesn't change your status or your standing with Him. Instead, for those who have by faith trusted Jesus' work on their behalf, then communion is a chance for us to remember and to celebrate all that he has done for us so that we might be empowered to live a life of worship unto him every day. And so as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, if you have put your trust in Jesus and his gospel, then whenever you are ready, take communion If you miss the elements, they're on the foyer in the way out and you can grab one on your way out and you don't need to be a member here at River City. You just need to belong to Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you're just in the process of figuring out what you think about the Bible and and what you think about the God that it might reveal, I want to encourage you this morning, hold off on taking communion. God's not after rituals. He's not after traditions. He's not just after going through the motions. He's after your heart. And so trust him and receive him before you take communion. And That being said, I just want to reiterate, I just want to make super clear. If, if that's a spot where you're in this morning, you're just exploring faith and figuring out what you think about it. I just want you to know you are welcome here at River City. And you are welcome in this community and your questions are welcome here and your doubts are welcome here and your process is welcome here. And I don't have all the answers to every question, but I certainly do have time to honor your questions. And so if I can serve you or help you as you think about that more, I would love to be able to do that. I know everyone who is a part of this community would love to be able to do that with you. And so no matter where you're at this morning, whether you've been studying your Bible for 30 years or for three minutes, whatever it might be, I want to encourage you, keep pressing in, keep studying, keep studying diligently as these religious leaders did, but, but do it looking for Jesus. Do it knowing that it's always about Him, that it's not about you, and ask God to keep showing you the good news of the gospel that is revealed when you see it's all about Him. Let's pray. Jesus, we come together this morning and we are grateful to get to study your word. Thank you that your word is worth studying diligently. But God, as well, we come this morning recognizing our need for you and our need for your spirit to reveal you to us in it. God, uh, we just want to confess as well that, that we tend to approach reading your word thinking it's about us. It's a temptation we all face. And God, we pray that you would help us instead to see that it's about you that it's about revealing you and that in seeing you, we are transformed. And so God, help us to see you in your word rightly. Help us to see that it's about you so that we might live lives of worship unto you as we see you for who you really are. God, for our good and for your great glory in all the world, help us to see the Bible as all about you. Amen.